All right. Well, hey, welcome, Voice. Merry Christmas. Hope you're doing well. Uh, you know, I was th- as I was driving in this morning thinking about the fact that it's Christmas Sunday, uh, I actually remembered, uh, this, this will relate, I remember years ago when I used to lead a high school small group, and there's two siblings that uh, were both in high school at the same time, both in my small group, and one of them played a prank on the other one and started her, put his alarm clock four hours early. So he got up at like at 3 o'clock in the morning, right, got, took a shower. He didn't, he didn't question it because why would you question your alarm clock? This is before, like, this is like in the pager era, if you remember that season. So there weren't like cell phones that automatically update. So he got up, got ready, did his hair, took a shower, all that kind of stuff, was eating breakfast, and then he looks at the clock in the kitchen and was like, oh, that's why it really didn't feel, and I was like, I was like, bro, didn't you think about, like, why the sun wasn't up? And he's like, oh, you know, I just, it didn't feel right. But, you know, I didn't question it until I looked at the clock. And the reason why I bring that up is I feel like that's Christmas this year. I don't feel like it's Christmas. It, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know when it feels like. I don't know. I, I, I can't determine, like, uh, seasons over the past nine months at all. It's kind of just one big blur. But it definitely doesn't feel like Christmas uh, this week. But hey, anybody else relate? Uh, so uh, what I want to challenge you guys to do is uh, in the middle of this crazy season to, to create some memories, create some memories. And, we just, and I, I know if, if any guys love, love tradition like I do, I know that can be difficult uh, because you're going, well, we, we can't, we always go to this event or we always go to grandma and grandpa's house or we always have a big get together and we can't do those things. I, I understand that. You can't do traditions like normal, but messy, messy seasons like we're in right now can create some unique memories. Messy seasons can create some unique memories, so lean into that. Actually, think if you were to get together with some old friends from college days or whatever, you wouldn't talk about the normal stuff. You wouldn't talk about, remember that one time, you know, we went to Pizza Hut? Remember that one time we, you know, took a drive? You, you would talk about, remember that one time, and it'd be, it'd be these unique memories, unique circumstances. So lean into that and create some uh, special memories that you can't, uh, couldn't have created uh, otherwise. Uh, kudos to the kids team, actually, who leaned into that this week, so Pastor Tiff. Uh, and I think Ann and Amy helped out as well. Uh, and our new intern, our new kids intern, uh, Madison, delivered these uh, decorate at home, decorate yourself Christmas cookies to all the families with young kids. Uh, and so kudos to that team. Hopefully that brought a little joy and hope into your uh, into a, a pretty, pretty wild uh, season. But uh, so <laughs> as we dive into the teaching here, I was thinking about, when our kids were growing up, randomly, they would, no pun intended, randomly, uh, they, they would say, uh, like, that's so random. You guys, are, you guys kids ever say that? Like, they'll, they'll see a situation and go, like, that's so random. And, and here's the thing. It's like, sometimes it would be random, right? Like, we used to have this car in our old city, and I kid you not, the entire car was uh, grass. Like, they actually planted grass on the whole car, not like AstroTurf, but actual growing grass. I don't know if they, they had to mow their car, but it was like grass. There was another car, I kid you not, that was uh, doll parts. A little disturbing, a little unsettling, but it was all like doll parts. Actually, a lot disturbing, uh, but it was all doll parts. And they would, you know, would say, well, that's random. And in the cases like that, it would be random. And then other times, uh, what they would call random would just be things they've never experienced before, right? Because we, we tend to only know what we know, right? Kind of, uh, duh, right, Captain Obvious. And we tend to expect more of what we've already experienced. We tend to expect what we've already experienced. So we tend to think that things are going to go more and more like we've already thought. And sometimes what we call random may just be something new and something unexperienced. The reason I bring that up is we have a desire within every single one of us, for the most part, 
to find meaning and purpose even in the most random events in life. We want a meta-narrative, a larger story that we can anchor to. We want a comprehensive uh, explanation of history and experience and relationships, and we want all of the things that we go through to be able to hang on this like timeline. And we want to look back at it years from now and believe that it all connected. And I think the reason why is it, it, it reminds us and ensures in us that there's purpose to everything. That the story that we're a part of is going somewhere. Right? I think that's why we want purpose. So we say things like, like everything happens for a reason. Right? Everything happens for a reason. I've said that many times. Or I don't just, I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe in coincidence. Or if, if someone went through a messy breakup, we'll say, well, you just haven't met the right person yet. Well, what does that mean? That means that there is a right person, that there's a greater story you're a part of. Or this one I, I've said so many times, I guess it wasn't meant to be. I guess it wasn't meant to be. Which means later you will find the thing that was meant to be. Right? Or take the, the, take the Christianese version of it. Our, our version is we'll connect the dots of all these random situations and we'll, we'll say, oh, it's a God thing. Right? So we'll connect all these dots of the weird situations and go, oh, it's a God thing, see? And w- why do we say that? Because, again, we want all the randomness to connect to some larger narrative. I think that's hardwired in our DNA. Or the opposite, when tragedy strikes. What do we do? We ask, why? Why? Why do we ask that? Because we want to find purpose in the pain. We want to believe that our suffering can connect to something powerful. The, the suffering that we're going through can connect to something purposeful and meaningful. And the reason why I bring that up for the Christmas story is the Christmas story is actually a reminder that the things in us that want the dots to connect can't be ignored. There's a reason why that's inside of us, that the world is not as random as we may think, that the, 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 there really is a story that we're a part of, that life is connected. And even more than that, there's a divine story. So we're going to go through some of my favorite verses, and they just happen to be obviously about the Christmas story. And if, if you find yourself here or watching online and you would call yourself maybe a skeptic, or an optimistic skeptic about the Bible, I hope this is going to be some interest to you because there's passages like this that compelled me to become a Christian. So Luke chapter 1, written by a guy named Luke, right? So he says, Luke chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were the the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. And break this down real quick, we've got we to hop into other stuff. But he says, this is not once upon a time. This story doesn't begin with once upon a time in a land far, far away. This isn't some vague thing that you can't check into. The reason why fairy tales start like that is because they're not meant to be researched. They're not meant to go visit that town and meet the eyewitnesses. You're not going to go meet Beauty and the Beast friends and go, did it really happen like that? We know it's in a land far, far away, once upon a time. It's a story. It's a myth. And what, what Luke is saying is, this is not mythology. I've talked to the eyewitnesses. Theophilus, who was a, who was a leader in the government, Theophilus, you've heard these stories. I went to the source from the very beginning and researched. And I put it all into an orderly account. Why? He says at the end. So you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. That this is not myth. This is not legend. You can know the certainty, the reality that this is true. Because if this is true, if Jesus was who he said he was, 
And in turn, if Jesus is who he says he is, then there are some significant implications for that, for the way we're supposed to live. So it goes forward in verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Who's Elizabeth? Elizabeth is Mary's, King James says cousin, most translations say relative, something in the family tree. Uh, then it says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Pledged to be married means most likely it was an arranged marriage, like a lot of the marriages in that time. Then it says the virgin's name was Mary. We know this story, right? But the thing is, before Gabriel, the angel Gabriel comes on the scene, we don't know a lot about Mary. All we know is that Gabriel interrupted her life. All we know is that she was planning to marry this guy named Joseph, the carpenter, and lead a normal life, like her mother and her father before her. That she would probably live and die in the same Galilean community she grew up in. She'd be another one of the nameless and faceless millions of people who came and went and left no mark. There's no memorial. There's no trace of her ever existing. She'd be just one of the many people who were left wondering if life had a purpose or if it was all random. But then what happens is another chapter in the story of God, another story, another chapter in the story of our redemption needed to be written. So God intervened and history records it. Verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And then it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. We talked about this a couple weeks ago where Mary was confused and disturbed. And the reason why is imagine if someone calls you up and says, can you drop what you're doing? I need to talk right now. Okay, your, your heart sinks a little bit because you're like, is this good or is this bad? It's either really good or really bad, right? This is the situation with Mary. She didn't know if it was good or bad news. Verse 30, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You found favor with God means you've been singled out for a purpose. That God is about to show up in human history. So it says verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. Sure. He'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Using that word kingdom is really weird in this context because Israel hadn't had an independent Jewish kingdom for over 500 years. Oh, nearly twice as long as the United States has been a country. That's as long it's been since Israel had been an independent Jewish community. And so that was outside of the mind of what Mary was even thinking. But put a pin in that, the bigger issue Mary had to contend with, she talks about in the next verse. How will this be? How will this be, asked this young teenager, since I am a virgin? All right, she's old enough to know where babies come from. She's like, how is the stork going to come? I'm a virgin. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the, whole, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Okay, not really an answer, but she goes with it. Verse 36 Gabriel says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Mary had no idea. There was no Instagram back then, right? So she had no idea that her cousin, her relative, was six months pregnant. And then it says this in verse 37. 
For no word from God will ever fail. For no word from God will ever fail. The literal translation is that this word from God is not impossible. This word from God is not impossible. That if God wants something to be done, it will be done. Now I want to put a pause on that just for a second because you may find yourself in a situation like that. It could be relational. That you never thought that your relationship, or your marriage, or with your kids, or with your parents would end up a certain way. You're going, God, how is this going to pan out? Maybe in a financial situation, a health situation, you're going, this is impossible for this to pan out, but you really feel like God is, is telling you it's going to work out? Would you be reminded today that if it's a word from God, it is not impossible? But it is strange. God hadn't done anything this overt in over 400 years, so quick snapshot, what, what is happening in the time before the Gospels is what's called the intertestamental period. Okay, It's 400 years from the last prophet, what we call the Old Testament, to what we call the New Testament in the Gospels. About 400 years and change. We call it the intertestamental period or the silent years many times, the 400 silent years. In the context of today, it could be called the 400 years of randomness. It's literally just randomness. The Babylonians rise and fall, the Persians, Alexander the Great, the Roman Republic will later become the Roman Empire, and now this, the birth of the Son of God, the birth of a king. And the whole time, for hundreds and hundreds of years, Israel is saying, God, where have you been? When are you going to speak? When are you going to tell us to do something? When are you going to intervene on our behalf? When are you going to be with us? And then every once in a while, on occasions, God would drop directly into the lives of men and women, like he does in this story, to push forward the flywheel of his plan. That's important for us to understand. It's for his plan. And in these moments, it's like God shows up in history and says, guys, you don't understand. This isn't about the plans of man. This is about the will of God. That it's never been about the plans of man. It's been about the will of God. That every single one of those kingdoms, the Persians, the Babylonians, the Roman Republic, that Alexander the Great, they, they'll rise and they fall, but by my declaration, when you look at the details and the history, you may not see the hand of God, but understand life is not random. God is saying he's the God of purpose, and everything happens because of his will, but the reality is we can say amen to that, but then we look at our lives, most of our days, I don't know about you, but most of my days feel like they're made up of just kind of random events. So what happens in Mary's story? Gabriel comes into Mary's life, says this like boom statement and then Mary doesn't hear from the angel again. That's kind of it. Things go back to random, but worse. Next thing you know, Mary is pregnant, nine months pregnant, riding a donkey from Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem, which is about 80 miles. Imagine being nine months pregnant, riding on a donkey from here to San Diego, right? Not super comfortable. Imagine being Joseph walking next to the donkey, carrying your nine-month pregnant wife, who probably isn't super happy, walking 80 miles to San Diego. I'm sure Mary in those situations is going, really, God? Like, Gabriel, where are you? You can go from heaven to earth. Can't you get us from Nazareth to Bethlehem a little faster? And then because it took so long, 80 miles, to get to Bethlehem for the census, there's no more room, right? You know the story. You've seen the skits. There's no more room in any hotels, right? So she's at a stable. She smells. It's not a super sanitary environment to bring in a, a new child, let alone the son of God. So when 
Miss Favorite of God finally gets there and has the baby. Then she finds out that Herod wants to kill her son. The king wants to kill your kid. What's that like? So what do they do? They get back on the donkey. And they go 200 miles further away from home into Egypt. It's not the way Mary had planned it. Then Mary gets the worst news possible. We know it today as the killing of the innocents or the slaughter of the innocents, but Herod does what Herod does. And Herod slaughtered every boy under two years old in Bethlehem and in the surrounding areas. And if you were Mary, how could you not feel like at some level this is your fault? But if you're a bystander, this is a random act of violence. Honestly, just another day for Herod. So here's the question. Here's the question. We believe there's like this purpose tree that every event hangs on, right? This, this purpose timeline that every relationship is no coincidence and everything is a God thing. And so we hang this on all the different parts of this purpose tree. Well, on which branch of the purpose tree was Mary supposed to hang all of that? Then one day, favorite of God, Mary would listen as her God-given son, angel-ordained son, is beaten within an inch of his life, mocked, crucified. And the thing is, today, we know the end of that story, but she didn't. And in that moment, it was just another senseless Roman execution. From a bystander's point of view, it was just another random act of violence. Some Jewish guy that no one knew that would be remembered by no, nobody. One more broken-hearted Galilean mother. But from the vantage point of time, we know there was nothing random about it. We know that her pain was our gain. The little did Mary know that one day, one day, she would be favored by God and by man. People would create sculptures, create churches with her name on it, right? CeeLo would sing songs about her. Like this would happen 2,000 years later, but she had no idea. See, here's the point I want to drive home. A lot of times, I grew up in a church where perfect faith was seen as this faith that moves the hand of God. That if you believe enough and if you say the right formula of prayer and if you sacrifice enough and if you're faithful enough, that perfect faith can get God to move. But can I challenge you? I don't believe that perfect faith is a faith that moves God. I believe that perfect faith is a faith that moves us to trust God when it seems like God isn't moving. Let me say that again. Perfect faith is not a faith that moves God. Perfect faith is a faith that moves us to trust God when it seems like God isn't moving. Perfect faith is to respond to the seemingly random events of life as if they're part of the perfect plan of God. If the worship team wants to come up, a um, few thoughts as we close. We want to know as human beings, we want to know where to hang everything on the tree. We want to know where all the relationships, the circumstances, the pain, the highs, the lows, we want to know where they all fit on the purpose tree. But it's not our responsibility to know where they all fit. Our responsibility is to believe that everything has a place on the tree, whether we know where it goes or not. And here's what I've seen. I'm sure you've seen this too. Is that if people are able to see all of it as coming from God's hands, if people are able to see all of it as coming from God's hands, then their heart is in the right posture to respond in a way that allows God to create purpose from the randomness. 
Again, if people are able to see as all of it is coming from God's hands, then they're able to respond in a way to allow God to create purpose from the randomness. So in conclusion, as we close out here, we were created to look for a purpose, all of us. That's hardwired inside of us. Dogs don't ask why, but we do. What's going on there? I think that's part of our, our image bearing of God. That's part of our DNA. It's part of what, what that deep calling on the deep that we're called, we know we're eternal beings and we call for that. We are created to look for purpose, right? Sometimes we find it, sometimes we don't. We gotta be clear about that. We all long for purpose, to know the purpose of everything. Sometimes we find the purpose, sometimes we don't. Sometimes when we find the purpose, we find it immediately. Sometimes we find it eventually. Sometimes we find it immediately, sometimes we find it eventually. But at Christmas, at Christmas, this is what we, what we celebrate today, is that we're reminded that life is not as random as it seems. Today we're reminded that there is a story taking place that there's a divine story taking place. And if we choose, we can participate. That's the gospel. That if we choose, we can participate. Because ultimately, ultimately, God has never interrupted his plans. Only yours. I want you to think about that. God has never interrupted his plans. Only mine. A lot more than I wish he did. But God has never interrupted his plans. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing uh, this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I'm sure everyone knows it. And then we're going to sing some Christmas carols uh, together to end. But the song says, one of my favorite verses says, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. That we're in, we're in exile, we feel lonely, we feel desperate until the Son of God appear. And when that happens, when Emmanuel, we celebrate as God with us, when that happens, everything changes. So we may be consumed with isolation right now because we have to quarantine, right? We have to be six feet apart. I just, I just want to like hug somebody, right, with a mask off and just be normal. I just want to have a New Year's party. I, I want to do all that, but we're in isolation. We're confused many times. If you're a small business owner, this is tough. This is really tough. We're consumed with all that until the Son of God appears. Can I challenge you? That I think intellectually we may know, oh yeah, God is with me. But God is not just with us in the mountaintop moments. Psalm says that though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I know you are with me. That God is with you in the hardest points too. But I can't, can I challenge you to do something? Would you invite God into the middle of the mess? So you're looking at the numbers. They don't make any sense. You're looking at relationships that seem like they're not going to go the right way. You're looking at a health diagnosis that is not the way you'd want it to go. And could you, instead of just being overwhelmed, could you say, God, would you be with me in this moment? Could you enter this? I would like for you to intervene, if that be your will, but I'd like for you just to be here with us. I invite you in to this mess with me. We're consumed with isolation, confusion, until the Son of God appears. Let me pray for us. And then we're going to sing this song and then we'll sing some Christmas carols together.
All right, but we're reminded that God is with us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. God, we just thank you. God, we thank you for being faithful. God, we thank you that in the middle of all the randomness that we see, this year more than ever, God, that we remember that you never interrupt your plan, only ours. This didn't surprise you. Nothing surprised you with all this. And God, will we understand and believe that from a higher perspective, this is part of a greater narrative. This is part of a greater story, a divine story, a story that's bigger than our lifetimes. God, help us to live lives that have eternity in mind, to expand your kingdom, to bring your hope and your joy. Help us not to be overwhelmed by disruption, by what seems like random events. Will we lean into you as you guide us through this. And we sing, oh, come, come, Emmanuel, God with us, God beside us, God for us. We love you, God, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's go and stand up and sing this together.